Welcome to The Cannabis Question, a marijuana science and culture podcast coming from the state of Pennsylvania to the rest of the nation and the world. Now, my name is Scott Goddard, and I'll be your host. And today, we're going to ask, why does legal weed cost so freaking much? Uh, We're going to go over some of the reasons why legal weed is so expensive by looking at the ways its federally legal status still affects the business, how the constantly changing regulations create havoc for business costs, and how a tax code called 280E is holding back the market from a more affordable pricing structure. So to begin, Chapter 1, Scrooge McDuck. So first off, you may have noticed whenever you're at an ATM or on a bank website, maybe a little placard that's there. If you go back to the days around the turn of the century before the curse of the old six-foot lung disease, when the labels would be probably right near that little dog-leashed pen, it says F-D-I-C. And do you know what that means? And you got any guesses out there? All right, well, no guesses then. Well, it stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. Now, this is an organization created in 1933 during the Great Depression, and they made it to help people who had lost faith in the banking system due to the crash, and they wanted them to feel better about putting their hard-earned greenbacks back in the bank vault. So initially, back then, it only covered a paltry $2,500, which I'm sure probably only bought like a knife and a loaf of bread. But in the modern era, we see that it covers around a quarter million, $250,000 per category owner, something or other. Now, because weed is still federally illegal, if you didn't know, the FDIC doesn't really feel like insuring any of the dollar bills that come from the weed game because they would consider that cash too unstable to keep on their books. And really... If the Fed at any point just decided to reverse its wheels and say weed is no longer legal in any capacity, even at a state level, for some reason they just remove the state's rights, well, if the FDIC was covering any cash, they would really be in a shitty spot. So, like anyone else, they're minimizing risk and they refuse to let weed money go into traditional banks. And this is one of the first big hurdles in the cannabis industry. So trying to figure out exactly how to keep the money right. Now, at least in PA, it is pretty much a cash-dominated industry. I think there's this thing called CanPay or CanaPay that you may see come up, and it's really uh, attempts being made at payments being anything other than cash. You know, they can't really be credit cards to start, but I think, you know, it's going to be like a PayPal Venmo for weed kind of thing. And I'm sure anybody who figures it out, yeah, they'll make a billion dollars tomorrow. Now, there are companies that act as go-betweens, and this is more so for the weed companies themselves, because if you think, I just made a big amount of millions of dollars a year, and that's got to go somewhere, right? It's got to physically get to a place There's companies that sort of act like, I guess, like half banks, if you will, and they will hold your weed money at a cost. And that cost means for every X amount of dollars you make, you now have to spend X amount of dollars to have somebody 
forklift your money around in a warehouse like it's an Indiana Jones ending to a beautiful movie. So, unfortunately, because of the FDIC, we have one big increase in costs. Every dollar you make might cost you another dollar just to keep it together. And that brings us to chapter two, passing the test. So, here in Pennsylvania, we only have a medical market, but we're all hoping pretty much by 2022 to see our rec market come through. But even in places that do have a rec market, there is a large consideration of costs associated for testing, labeling, and packaging. Now here's a bit of an example of exactly what I'm talking about. So let's say your buddy, right? Everybody's got a buddy. They always seem to have way cheaper weed than the dispensary. And maybe you can get a zip or an onion by other names known as an ounce for like 150 to 250, which is generally what I heard the streets are. Usually most people say a buck 50 to $200. And maybe that's cause it only costs them some time and some material. You know, as far as time, it was only a matter of bagging up the big weight into small weight and breaking it down as the middleman. So in that situation, the main costs are associated with the risks of storage and handling, right? Your basic illegal game, and of course, the product cost itself. Assumably, you buy it in bulk and you sell it for a small profit, or if you're lucky enough to have a little home grow, maybe you grow at home and just sell your excess cannabis for almost pure profit, although we all know growing takes some time. It isn't a freebie altogether. You know, those lights can run quite a bit of money from what I can see. Now, let's say you want to sell legal cannabis. And that means location, location, location. Now, the better the spot, the more money it's going to cost you, right? And then you have to staff the spot. And payroll costs money. And now you need a license to operate legally. And I'll tell you, the game is similar in at least the verbiage, because it has kind of like a liquor license status to it. You know, you sort of have to bid for one or you can buy one from someone else. But that means the price is not stagnant. It is fluid. You might pay X amount one year and you might pay 10 times the year after that. I mean, just like in Atlantic City, one of the big sort of resort towns or vacation towns in Jersey, you can sell a liquor license there you might have bought 20 years ago for X amount of millions for like tens and maybe even a hundred million sometimes. I'm not sure, but I know there's a big change in costs. And in PA, you know, speaking from experience, each dispensary license you bid for or you win or are awarded to you, whatever you want to call it, they give you about three stores. And I remember last year in the news, there was one company I think called Harvest who bought another company's two licenses. And I believe the price tag was somewhere attuned to $989 million. And that, my friends, is a whole lot of peanut butter. So since you might at cheapest have those licenses cost maybe 10 or 15 million of liquid when you're just applying to the state, you gotta jump through all sorts of hoops. And then also you have to trudge through the trenches of a heavy political process, trying to get your application in the door. And then here in PA, on top of all of those costs, just trying to get your business off the ground, 
none of the products are allowed to be seen when they're in their packages. They all have to have little trick safety, child safety mechanisms in the lids, and they all have to have labeling somewhere on the outside, sometimes on the inside. It's all part of the law's provisions. And that means you have to buy machines for packaging and machines for storage, and all these things have to ideally be paid for. And I've even heard stories where certain grower processors uh, you know, and this is something that I think even happens in rec markets are told they have to change their labeling to meet a new requirement. And that means buying another $10,000 machine and switching it over and spending man hours hand labeling your products or machine labeling them or relabeling them. And that all costs money. Now for me, I even thought at one point, that I might do a little bit of science myself, right? For the cannabis question. I thought maybe I would grab some of the flower that says it looks a certain way or it's a certain potency. And maybe I would go and have it retested by a different lab, right? Do sort of a little A and B product comparison. It's very much in tune with the way I would love this podcast to continue adding new wrinkles to the market. But when I looked into it, you know, there's maybe four or five labs in PA, I believe, which are allowed to do cannabis testing and it costs way more money than as a private citizen I would be able to spend to be able to get it done. It is thousands to start. So I can tell you, although I would love to do it, maybe in the future out there, you see me throw a Patreon up, you'll know exactly why I'm doing the jig. Testing is expensive. And at least in a medical market, you know, I can't speak for a rec one, but I know some testing is required. They have to test everything. Some things have to get tested twice in case they come up inconclusive in an area or what I assume happens. Sometimes you're just aiming for a high score and maybe get it retested, just trying to get better labs. For the cost, I can't imagine it happens. But again, in America, I'm sure everything happens at least twice. So testing brings another gravity of cost to it. Now, once all that's done, then you have to actually get the product to the dispensary. And that means shipping costs, fingerprinting, security, doctors, qualifying, it's everything. It's madness. And that is a lot more infrastructure than I bet the local zigzag man requires to be able to get you a baggie of something sticky. Thus, I think it does make sense as to why we see significant costs in the legal market because of all of this background craziness. Now, you have heard stories, I've heard stories, maybe you're lucky enough to be in a state where the stories are true, where rec markets do seem to have a reduction in their pricing. And I've heard out Colorado way that uh, the market is potentially right now so saturated with cannabis that they can't get rid of it quick enough. I heard out in Oregon or somewhere up in there that they had so much weed they could barely keep it good because it would go bad after a while. You know, these kind of crazy big fish, old wives tale stories. I'm sure, again, it's happened at least twice. But this is something that comes with overproduction. It isn't so much that the production costs are cheap. It's just the market is flooded there So sometimes then you hear about these $60 ounces, maybe $120 ounces. I'll tell you, if you want to know a little bit more about that, go back just a couple episodes. 
Uh, I did one with a gentleman, Ryan, who had been out in Colorado selling cannabis legally for a couple years. And he runs down a little bit of the differences in what you've been told versus what is. So check that out if you want to know more on that. But at the very least, when you're paying only 100 bucks an ounce, from what I'm told, it's closer to like Reggie weed, you know, the regular stuff, the basic, it just doesn't have seeds, which again, isn't bad. I'm not trying to talk shit. It just happens, you know, you get what you pay for. So maybe to some of you out there, that just sounds like an excuse, right? You want what you want. And the logistic costs may not impress you because we all want cheaper ganja. So that takes us to chapter three, Ronald Reagan and tax code 280E. Now, what exactly are we talking about here? So tax code 280E was almost the name of the episode. It has so much of a pivotal role in exactly what's going on. And given everything else we've mentioned, all reasonable things, I'm sure, that increase the cost of production and running the business of cannabis in America, this is truly the sharp knife that seems to bleed the market just a little bit at a time makes us have to pay so much. So tax code 280E is a code from back in 19, er, uh, 1982 during Reagan's time. And this is a tax code where cannabis companies have absorbed an increased tax liability, which means they have to pay more taxes because this code says you cannot deduct costs if you are engaged in the trafficking of a controlled substance. Now for a little background to unpack that, marijuana is a controlled substance. It's schedule one. Thanks to a law from 1970, 1971-ish, the Controlled Substances Act under another one of your favorite presidents, old Nixon man. And that made weed truly federally illegal. We still suffer. But on the state side, it's a little legal right now. At least some states can get away with it until it gets voted in in some of the other dry states and the states that are a little more brown than green. And this tax code piggybacks on that by saying if you are on that list of controlled substances, scheduled one, scheduled two, I'm pretty sure as well, that you cannot deduct any costs because you are engaged in trafficking something that's illegal, a controlled substance. So here's the exact legalese just to put it out there so that we're all on the same page. So it reads as follows, no deduction or credit shall be allowed for any amount paid or incurred during the taxable year in carrying on any trade or business if such trade or business consists of trafficking in controlled substances, bam, Schedule 1 and Schedule 2 of the Controlled Substances Act, which is prohibited by federal law or the law of any state in which such a trade or business is conducted. So they're saying is you can't deduct or credit any amount in a year for a business trafficking controlled substances prohibited by federal law or state law. Which means in the states we're in, they've already changed the law, but if the Fed doesn't change it, we still have to pay federal tax. And this is interesting because if you think of it, they're forcing you to pay federal tax on something which is federally illegal. 
they're taxing an illegal substance and making a pound. It's kind of a little bit of a weird tickle in the brain it gives me when I think about that. But the big question you have to ask is back in 1982, why would they put this law in the books? You know, the Controlled Substances Act was back in 70, 71. So, you know, here we are like a decade later and then randomly they put this other law. And this is well before any weed was legal, right? Cali hadn't come online yet. Nobody was quite at the point for years. I mean, in the 80s, it was all about, what, AIDS and the D.A.R.E. program. So they were telling you, this is a brain on drugs. Don't do dope. You know, crack in D.C. in the 80s. That was a big deal. So it's interesting this law comes into play. So here's a little background on exactly what was going on. In 81, a tax court allowed an illegal business to recover the costs of the controlled substances which in this case were amphetamines, cocaine, and marijuana, which were obtained on consignment and also to claim certain business deductions. So this was a case called Jeffrey Edmondson versus Commissioner TC, uh, 1981, and this memo 81-623 in case you have time, in case you have time to go and read it. So this was really talking about in 81, there was a guy who was selling a bunch of dope, right? As they say, a bunch of dope back in 81. And he was picked up by the law dogs, and they charged him with a certain amount of crime. And he was able to reduce the amount of crimes in which they were at least charging him with because he was able to deduct some of the volumes of finances that were part of his, you know, charges because they were things like the rent he paid on his apartment, uh, which he also considered his sole place of business, uh, the cost of his scale, packaging expenses, telephone calls, automobile expenses. He tried to write off the business of his illegal game as business costs. And technically, federally, that is a right that most businesses enjoy. So, after this very clever man was able to uh, figure out this loophole, Congress enacted 280E, which related to the deductions other than the cost of the controlled substances itself. So, it said that you could not write that stuff off pretty much. And thus, when we fast forward to the modern day, let's say you're a business, right? You and your buddy. You want to sell some legal weed. A pound comes in the door. They don't tax the cost of goods sold, what they call the COGS for any of you uh, calculator finance boys out there. They don't tax the COGS, but they tax everything else. Payroll, building costs, everything else is taxed. So as a result, if you look up just 280E costs, you'll often see reports where the first year or two, businesses are paying 70 to 80% tax on what they make, and they are often taking a loss in the first couple of years where normally they would have taken a massive couple hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of gain because all those initial startup costs, building things and everything, all end up getting taxed. And I believe I had mentioned this before, but at least for understanding the cost of weed, this is a big, big part of it. Not only is it because of all these other things with logistics and just adding in normal things, you know, 
you cook at home, it costs you one amount. You want to cook in a restaurant, it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more for the same dish to cook. Plateware and all the chefs and everything and the DOH on top of that. But when you think why, oh, why is our legal weed so expensive? It's really majorly because old Uncle Sam keeps taking the middleman's cut every time weed is legally grown, legally moved, and legally sold. I thought for a while, and you may still think, that companies out there are pocketing mad loot. And it is true, there is a good possibility that there are healthy profits available in the cannabis market. But it does take a couple years before you ever really get to make that money. Now sure, there's, you know, YouTube-like success, I'm sure, in the pockets of every market. But for most of the people involved, there is a hell of a lot of squirreling around for tomorrow, trying to figure out where to put your acorns in one basket or the other. Are they going to tax which basket? Sometimes you have to sort of just figure out a very creative way to bounce the ball so that you can save anything from getting slapped by the tax man. You know, it's just like that sweet old Beatles song, one of my favorites. It's one for you, 19 for me. Tax man. So the government really does know how to snatch them dollars. I mean, that song is from back during the flower child era when they were, of course, still trying to legalize weed back then. And they were still talking about how heavy the pinch was from the bank for the business. So until we have a change on the federal level, legal cannabis will have to pay off a lot of these outstretched, open and willing hands grabbing at a lot of our dollars before we get to pack our pipes for cheap. So I hope that made a lot of sense to you out there. Thank you for listening. You know, this is one of the topics that I know anybody who gets a recent cannabis market, anybody who gets a recent rec market, we all are happy at first and then we kind of have to deal with the back end where, you know, this becomes a legitimate budget costs. With COVID, with the crazy economy, we know that it becomes only more of a concern that we hope a plant starts to cost what a plant costs. And of course, I like the testing. I don't mind the fact there's some gates that have to be jumped through to make sure the products stay high quality. But that doesn't mean I want to have to spend $500 or $1,000 a month just to be able to regularly enjoy my cannabis and to enjoy a quality version of it versus just having to deal with little tumbleweeds all over my desk. Now, if this is your first episode or one uh, that you liked, please let me know in case uh, I'm on IG at uh, The Cannabis Question, thinking I might actually have a website coming up uh, maybe in the next coming months to try and support some more uh, interest coming through and add some multimedia to it. If you think that's a good idea, please let me know. Uh, I have an artist I'll be working with soon enough I'll give a shout out to once we finalize a couple details. But uh, thanks once again for listening. I hope you all have a good day out there and get elevated. Enjoy your life. Have a good one.